0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Staying Connected, a podcast where I talk to people about their stories with vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And today I have Sarah with me who's going to tell her about her son's story with VEDS. Hey Sarah.
1: Hi, how's it going?
0: Good, how are you?
1: Doing all right.
0: So you have a five-year-old son. Tell me about him.
1: Um, I have a five-year-old son whose name is Andrew. And he was diagnosed a little over three years ago with vascular Ehlers-Danlos.
0: And how did you guys get to that diagnosis at such a young age?
1: Um. So he, when I was pregnant with him, he we had our ultrasound um, to find out, you know, whether or not they're a boy or a girl, and they. During that ultrasound, they discovered that he had clubbed feet and so we knew that before he was even born and um, we got that corrected. He had a series of casts starting from when he was about two weeks old um, that culminated in a tendon lengthening surgery when he was two months old for his Achilles tendons. And, um, and then he had to wear, I think it's a steady braces, um, for I think the first two years of his life or so. Um, the first three months it was all the time and then, um, he just had to wear them at night to keep his feet from relapsing into clubbed feet again. Mm-hmm. And, um, so he had... Clipped feet, which is an indicator, which is a symptom or a comorbidity. I guess it's a comorbidity mm-hmm. of vascular EDS, um, which we did not know at the time. That was not even on our radar. Um, but when he was a baby, even when he was two weeks old, he had bruising. He would bruise little teeny tiny bruises all over his body. It looked almost like somebody was pinching him. They were just they were so small. And um, they were, like, the size of maybe uh, the top of the tip of a pencil eraser. Mm -hmm. And um, our first pediatrician, he, I think he noted that in his doctor's notes, that he had a lot of bruising. And, but he was really concerned about Andrew's eyes and how they were really, they still are, really big eyes. And, um he was concerned that maybe they weren't closing all the way that the eyelids were not covering the entire eye and so he referred us to an ophthalmologist to get that tested and the ophthalmologist said that that was fine but Andrew sleeps with his eyes half open which is also another (laughs) muscular EDS (laughs) characteristic but then we found I used to work at the in the Department of Neonatology at the University of Utah, and um, we found through an interesting series of coincidences that one of the resi- or one of the fellows that I used to work with at, in the Neonatology department. he changed his um, What's it called? Specialty. His yeah, there you go. His <laughs> specialty from from a neonatologist to a pediatrician, and so I decided to switch to his practice because I actually knew him in a professional manner. I taught him his lab skills, um, so like how to do how to do DNA sequencing and stuff like that. And um, so he saw Andrew and he saw all the bruising that was on Andrew and he said, this is not right and we need to figure out what's going on because I know that you don't abuse your children physically but when he gets to the age and he was about 18 months at that time Mm -hmm. and he said, you know, when he gets to the age of preschool or school and other care providers you know, teachers and teachers' aides and stuff like that see him and they see all of these bruises, they're going to start raising questions and we need to have an answer. Um, So he referred us to hematology because we figured, you know, with the bruising, maybe it was hemophilia or, you know, something, a bleeding disorder. Mm -hmm. And so they ran some tests which... If you ever have to have a blood draw for any, like for a baby baby, it's, it's one of the worst experiences ever, Aww. honestly. Because they don't understand what's going on and it hurts and they just want it to stop them. Yeah. You have to hold them. <laughs> um, but uh, hematology came back, all of his blood looked just fine. So we were back to the drawing board because there's still a problem. And um, so then my pediatrician called me up one evening and he said he thought it was a type of Ehlers-Danlos and that we needed to be referred to a um, a geneticist. But the geneticist at the University of Utah, the wait time to even get on the schedule was 18 months to two years out. Wow. And, yeah, and we figured that was good enough because we'd ha- at least have a diagnosis before he was in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so back to Andrew's clubbed feet, we went in for a routine checkup at Shriners Hospital um, and a resident was was looking at his feet and I was telling this resident that um, Andrew was suspected of having a type of Ehlers Danlos. And she said, but that the genetics wait was you know, as long as it was, you know, it could be two years before we get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and so I guess what she had said was she recommended getting an echo of his heart in the meantime so that um, we would have that in Andrew's file when it came time to see the geneticist. And so I told our pediatrician that and um, he thought that was a really good idea and so he referred us to a cardiologist at the University of Utah for an echo and they found that um, his aortic root Was dilated, so as the aorta is coming out of the heart, it was just a little bit wider than is normal. Mm -hmm. And because of that, they referred us to a genetic cardiologist, which I didn't even know was a specialty. <laughs> and so he saw Andrew and he saw his, you know, he checked his facial features, I'm sure he did the bite and score, but I wasn't, I didn't know what it was at the time um, because I chose not to go to Dr. Google and find things or, you know, look things up because I did start doing that at one point and it terrified me. Mm-hmm and so I decided to put it down and um, uh, so we did the genetic testing and it came back Um, I think he was tested for a few different types of EDS and I think he was tested for um, maybe a few different types of other connective tissue conditions and it came back that he was pos- he has a mutation um, that causes vascular Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and um, instead of taking two years to get di- diagnosed, it was over the course of two months. Wow. So, yeah. So, that resident at Shriners really, really helped out and she found some kind of back door <laughs> for us. <laughs> And I kind of felt like we went through this rabbit hole that nobody knew about, you know.
0: <laughs> and, yeah. So n- nobody else in your family has VEDS?
1: As far as we know, nobody else has um, VEDS. We are working on making sure that that's the case. I was tested and I am negative for it. My father passed away a year or not sorry not a year a week after um, I graduated from high school from a heart attack and it was really sudden and so that was a little concerning to me and I just wanted to make sure that it was while we didn't really suspect it because I don't have any of the other symptoms that my son had or has I don't know why I'm using past tense (laughs) but um, the the symptoms that my my son has, um, I don't really have those and neither does my husband. And so, our geneticists didn't really feel like we needed to be tested, but they would test us if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. And I chose to be tested and my husband, we're in the process of getting him tested too.
0: So. How did you feel when you were going through this and how did you feel when you finally got the diagnosis two months later
1: um I felt I don't know ever since Andrew was born um, he has two older siblings so he wasn't my first child and I've been through having children you know before and you kind by your third child you kind of know what to expect what milestones there are and stuff like that and I just felt like every time we went to the doctor's office um, there was something else that was concerning about him and we'd resolve one issue and then the next issue would come up and it just I think that honestly it kinda helped while going through that waiting process because he was I think he was just over, he was a month after his second birthday when he got diagnosed. And um, I I had learned at that point in time to just put something in a box (laughs) and put it away (laughs) and continue. Because there were just so many different things that we were concerned about for him from his eyes and his feet and he had a clogged eye duct at one point and and you know just there was always something to be worried about with him and I could just sit there and be a basket case and get nothing done or I needed to learn how to yes still be concerned about these things but um but I need to still function. I still need to make dinner for my family. I still need to take them to swim lessons. I still need to to do all of these things. I still need to function. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's kind of... I, I put it in a box and I put it away. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's not healthy, but it helped me to function. And... um. I don't know. I'm not sure that I was surprised when he came back with that diagnosis because the little that I had looked up online, it matched him pretty well. And then when we got the diagnosis, everything else that seemed to have nothing to do with each other, um, his feet, his eyes, his skin, his bruises, it all, even though they're completely different areas of his body, you know, and completely different concerns. It all was explained by one one condition. It all had the same answer. Mm-hmm. Um and then after he was diagnosed, I think I did okay with it. I I don't know. There's still periods of time where there's grief um I didn't join any support groups because I didn't even think to look for any until about six months after he was diagnosed Um, and it was actually from a friend um, that she was a her her kids went to swim lessons with my kids and um, about the time that Andrew was diagnosed um, I told her What he had, and she actually was the first person who actually knew what I was talking about because she had she was suspected of having the hypermobile type of EDS, and she's like, "Oh, I know what you're talking about." (laughs) So that that was amazing. And then, like a few months down the road after that, um, she said, "I'm part of this local EDS group." and they're talking about a new geneticist at the University of Utah and stuff like that. And so I joined that group. And um, at that point in time, I believe I was probably the only person that had that had a relative or anybody um, that had vascular LRs downloads from the local Utah group. Mm-hmm. But somebody pointed me to, to the vascular the vascular fast Facebook group, and um, and from there I've made a lot of friends. But joining those groups, it was a shock again to the system because it became just so much more real. And I know you're in the Facebook group. Yeah, that was wild. <laughs> it's really serious, you know, and it's really depressing and. And it's in your face, yeah. you know, that this is this is the worst. But at the same time, I've made some really, really good friends.
0: Yeah, I remember when and- I joined that Facebook group, it was like I switched from being in a Facebook group that was just broad ehlers Stanlow Syndrome to being pulled into that vascular group. And all of a sudden, everything that I would see switched from dislocations and POTS to ruptures and bowel complications and it was just like people who yeah. understand <laughs> what I'm worried yeah, about. Yeah, and it's,
1: it's a little bit of a slap to the face it too, though. <laughs> or at least I felt that way. So um,
0: I always warn people before I add them to the group now because I'm like, yeah, it's a really awesome group of people and you will not feel as connected to somebody as you can in that group because it is full of people who understand what you're going through, but it is really difficult at some times.
1: It's, it's really true. And we've lost a lot of people lately and some of them I didn't know really well, but, um, there's one in particular that I did know, or I felt like I know that knew that person pretty well and, it's really hard and um, last April I went to the VEDS Family Conference in Texas Mm -hmm. and it was just amazing going there and um, seeing all of those families that you know people that actually had the same condition that my son has and loved ones that were there you know supporting their and and their people that are from this Facebook group too. Mm-hmm. And you look at them, it was like a family reunion honestly because they're people that you've never met but you have this thing in common and it was just there's so many emotions because you have these you have these answers and um, you you have an answer which is amazing but at the same time it's devastating and all of these people have the same answer and and it's good to be together but at the same time the fact that you're even like this is even a thing is it's heartbreaking
0: yeah yeah I remember when so, I was at the Vets collaborative meeting in July last year there was a family day with a bunch of people and it was just like you just know, yeah, it's amazing,
1: well, and it, I mean, that's really, yeah, and i it feels like your family, at least it did for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just i I think it's the weirdest feeling because you don't you don't really know these people, but you do still feel this connection that just you're you're you have them, you know, they've got your back, and, yeah. and you love them, so, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really, it's an amazing feeling, and, you know, I hope, well, I hope nobody has to deal with that, because it means that you're dealing with something hard and, and awful, but at the same time, it's just its such a beautiful feeling, too. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. There really are no words <laughs> <laughs> as far as that goes. But, um, yeah, I i really wanted to make it to that collaborative meeting that I wasn't able to. So, I'm hoping this year yeah, I'll be able to make it.
0: <laughs> so, tell me about Andrew now. Um, is there anything that you don't let him do, or...? things that he involves. Um,
1: well, we don't, I haven't ever signed him up for soccer because it's really hard to know um, how rough kids are going to get, even, even five-year-olds, you know, how rough they're going to get on the field and stuff like that. He does swim lessons, but I have told his swim instructors that he can't practice diving, Mm Mm-hmm. Because um, it when you dive, I don't know, when you learn how to dive, there's lots of belly flops and since there's a risk of bowel rupture um, for VEDS patients, I don't want to put extra strain on that, you know, have an extra impact or extra impacts from diving on his, on his tummy. Mm-hmm. Um, or even honestly on his chest, too, because you can have pneumothoraxes, too, um, collapsed lungs. Um, I'm trying to think how else we limit him. It's like, really hard because he's not in kindergarten yet, so there's not a lot of sports that he's wanting to do. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. I <laughs> kind of feel like we cross that bridge when we get to it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's like a good way to handle it. So, how about with your other two kids? Do they know?
1: Yeah, and I don't know how much they comprehend. I don't know how much Andrew comprehends, but sometimes, sometimes I think he does. He knows that he's different. Um, the other two, we do talk to them. Um, my kids do roughhouse, not. Not that I approve of that, but sometimes I have two boys <laughs> and, <laughs> and sometimes that's just how boys are and you can't you can't I don't know <laughs> you can't split them apart sometimes <laughs> and stuff so even though I frown on it and I don't let it you know I don't let it happen that much um, it still happens. Um, and I've tried to explain to my older child that you have to be really careful with him because he is so much more fragile. And um, I think they try but a lot of times they forget and nothing really bad has happened yet um, so I don't know. And I think this is probably the case for our whole family, for my husband and for me as well. That Since nothing really bad has happened, we we maybe are in kind of a sense, a little bit of a false sense of security. And it's okay because nothing's happened and he can handle this. But that's not necessarily true. But it's it's hard to be on alert all the time, too. Yeah. I don't know.
0: I imagine you want to let him be a kid, too.
1: Yeah, well, and I think there's a, there's, it's really hard sometimes to strike a balance of, because I think it's okay, you gotta live your life, you can't be in a bubble all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't want him to sit there and be like, oh, I wasn't allowed to do all of these things, (laughs) my mom would only let me sit at home and play video games, which honestly he would be happy with, (laughs) but... (laughs) But, uh, but you know, I don't want him to look back on his childhood and be like, man, I had a really boring childhood. My brother and sister, they went out and they played with friends and they went sledding and they did all of these things um, and I wasn't allowed to leave the house. Mm-hmm. And Andrew does go sledding with his friends, or not his friends, but with, with us. We do take him sledding. Um, and if he goes down a sled by himself, he goes down on a smaller hill than everybody else. And the neighbor k- kids in our neighborhood, they like to make sleddy- sled runs where they've, they've made jumps <laughs> so the sled gets some air and stuff like that. And we're like, no jumps. <laughs> You're not allowed to do jumps. So I guess we do modify. but um, But he still gets to sled because, I mean, we live in Utah, and if you can't go sledding as a kid, like, that's that's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I grew up in Georgia, so I never got a chance to go sledding. So, so like, you've got to go sledding, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I don't know. So I think... We do we do let our kids know. I think it's almost kind of like um with sex ed kind of thing. You got to you got to tailor it to the age. You're not going to tell your 5-year-old all the things about like about how babies are made, you know? You're going to you're going to tell them the basics of what they need to know. You know. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, <laughs> no, it does make sense. <laughs>
0: so, what have you told him
1: for his condition? Yeah. Um, we've told him that he doesn't. He gets hurt a lot more easily than other people do, and so he has to be more careful. And he knows that himself. Um, there was a period of time where. He was getting hurt. He was getting stitches about every six months, and it's been about two years now. But like, there were some times where he'd hit his head, and he'd automatically reach up to touch his head, and he'd say, "Oh, look, Mom, I'm okay, no blood." <laughs> you know, <And laughs> what kind of kid does that? <laughs> but his head—I mean, his skull—the skin on his skull is so thin mm-hmm. that. It I mean he just bumps it against the a chair or a wall because he's a five year old you know or a, he was a four year old or a three year old and that happens and um, where it wouldn't do anything any damage to my other children it it busts open his skin mm-hmm. and because it's so thin. And he he knows this. I think he knows, and he recognizes it because he's been in his body for the last five years. <laughs> um, he knows that. I don't think he knows to the extent, um, but I don't think there's any reason to talk to him about it now because I don't want him to to have to worry about that. Yeah. But I think it's important that he knows that he's different and that he has to be more careful.
0: That's hard for a five-year-old.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> so, shortly after he was diagnosed, um, he was standing on a chair on our balcony and he, like, Went to lean over on the balcony, <laughs> like his feet left the chair, and he was just leaning over the balcony. <laughs> he does things like that, and my husband jokes um, that he's like he's not gonna die from vents. He's gonna like he's gonna go out in a flame of fire. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he's gonna have some kind of accidental death. that's <laughs> You don't, you don't gotta worry about this condition <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> it's something that really shouldn't be funny but it's so
1: funny <laughs> Oh, it is I don't know you have to have that morbid <laughs> that morbid sense of humor I think and that's how I think that's kind of how our family deals with it is <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we find the humor <laughs> in places where maybe it shouldn't be humorous <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
0: I feel like that's true for a lot of people I've talked to with this. Yeah. Honestly. Well,
1: I mean, if if you don't laugh, you cry, right? Yeah.
0: And it's okay to cry, too.
1: Yeah. But I, I do think find the true. morbid
0: humor in things a lot.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, um...
0: Well, is there anyone anything else that you wanted to share with the listeners? Did I miss anything?
1: Um... No, I don't think you missed anything. I think you had said in your last podcast um, you're a big proponent about getting the genetic testing. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to say that I think that's really, really important too. So I think that's that's about
0: it. It's super <laughs> important. I know it was so hard to yeah. get the genetic test. It's so hard to get into see a geneticist and then the geneticist doesn't always know. Yeah, they're doing, and then it's just so
1: hard to
0: test.
1: Yeah, but I think it's really important to get that differential test because vascular EDS can be. It can have the same similar symptoms as Louis Dietz or Marfans. Um, I'm sure there may be other conditions or other other connective tissue things that it can be like too. And I know for Louis Dietz and for vascular EDS, they have similar things where with Louis Dietz, you should have surgery and it would save your life. But if you had that same surgery and you have VEDS, it could kill you. Um, And then it's vice versa. If you have Louis Dietz and you don't have the surgery because they think you have vascular EDS... Um, not having that surgery can kill you and so I just, that's one thing that I really think is important and that's one thing um, in my local co- community I'm very vocal about and even in the vascular Facebook group because there are some people out there that haven't gotten the genetic testing done. Mm-hmm and i think it's it's really important that you need that you do that so that you know exactly what you have so that the doctors can take the right precautions and know exactly what they're dealing with and know what the right course of action is to go. Yeah. So i think knowing as much as you possibly can about your condition is what's important and I think even understanding a little bit of the genetics, like which, because there there really are, th- you kind of, in the VEDS community with the diagnosis, you fall into like three different, there's really kind of three different parts or types of mutations. And I think knowing which type of mutation you have within VEDS is also important because there are different outcomes that are more likely to happen in one type versus the other type. But that's kind of my soapbox, and I'm sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's okay. So what you're talking about is the um, substitution mutation where the glycine that holds the collagen 3 together is substituted with a different amino acid versus like a haploinsufficiency where you make a normal type of collagen but half of it. Yes. And then there's a splicing mutation.
1: Yeah, where you have a whole section of coding DNA um, taken out so that the the collagen that's made is shorter than the other types, of, or the the normal collagen. It's shorter than the normal collagen. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: So, yeah, there's yeah. Some variation in outcomes there. And yeah. Dr. Byers has a really good video on it.
1: Yeah. And I don't know. I'm I'm really interested in future research, and I am suspicious that there's more differences than than what we know today between those three different types.
0: Oh, I'm sure. So, there's just so much without a natural history study that we don't know yet.
1: It's true, and I I just really want it done. <laughs> so, I, I need to know this information yesterday.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel yeah. So I'll make sure to put a link to that video by Dr. Byers in this description awesome. of the podcast for people. Yep. Cool. Well, thank you for I talking with everything. me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for interviewing me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and hopefully we'll uh, get to connect sometime in the future in person. Whether I that hope may be. so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think we have a couple opportunities coming up soon.
0: So yeah, looking forward. So to yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> it'll <Okay>. be fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you again for listening. This was Sarah telling her story with vascular Ehlers-Danlos syndrome with her son Andrew, and this is Katie, your host. Um, if you want to subscribe to this podcast I have more episodes coming out on the last Sunday of every month and for now that's the frequency that I can handle (laughs) but hopefully in the future there will be more so stay tuned and we'll talk to you soon